So welcome to episode five of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. I'm here with Josh and Matt, and then we brought on a guest this week. We are joined by Gabe Foley. How are you doing today, Gabe? I'm all right. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Matt, let's start with you. Uh, what have you been up to the last couple of days? Uh, I got my head shaved, as you guys can uh, tell. Uh, <laughs> don't like my hair too uh, short, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, just watching playoff hockey. Josh, how about you? What have you been doing? Uh, well, I guess Tuesday was a longer day than expected. I think it was for most hockey fans. Uh, but, yeah, just keeping up with writing and just taking in, you know, just feeling like everything's normal again. Yeah, no, it's definitely a great thing to have hockey back. Uh, and on Monday night, we had the NHL did the second half of their draft lottery, and we finally know who's getting the first overall pick. Uh, that's the New York Rangers. So it's looking like the top prospect, Alexis Lafreniere, is going to be going to the Big Apple uh, playing for the Blue Shirts. Um, so, Josh, I want to start with you on this one. What do you think is going to look like with the Rangers getting the first overall pick? Yeah, uh, well, I think first off, the biggest question right now is, you know, not necessarily what impact is he going to have on the Rangers. It's do the Rangers – a, draft him with that pick, or B, do they even keep that pick? Um, you know, I, I personally don't think either of those are terribly realistic outcomes. I think, you know, Lafreniere is going to be a generational talent. The Rangers are going to hang on to that pick. They're going to draft him. That's my take. Uh, but there are certainly plenty of other people out there who, you know, obviously if the package is right, and a team like Ottawa or the Kings or Detroit even comes to you with the right package, you got to listen if you're Jeff Gordon and the Rangers, of course. Um, but with how deep this draft is, and I know uh, Gabe with his prospect researching and all that can attest to that, uh, you know, truly how even a lot of this talent is, um, that I don't see really any reason for any team to, you know, try and trade up to get that first overall pick and get Lafreniere. Cause I think any team that's drafting in the top eight or top nine is going to walk away pretty happy. Um, so I don't see any reason for the Rangers to move that pick unless some team comes to them with truly an exorbitant offer that they just can't refuse. Um, but I don't see that happening in terms of uh, Lafreniere's fit with the Rangers. Uh, I know he can play a little bit of center, but he's predominantly left wing. And, you know, considering that they've just handed Chris Kreider this huge contract, you got to wonder what that means for his future, because Kreider is not a third line winger and he's definitely not a third line winger on a team that has serious depth issues at forward, like the Rangers do. Um, because then you're looking at Lafreniere trying to fit on the left side with both Panarin and Kreider, and that's going to create a sort of lineup jam, uh, mainly because after Zibanejad and Strom, you don't really have anyone to center that third line. Uh, Philip Heedle's been pretty disappointing. Uh, Brett Howden as well. I mean, maybe those guys grow into something that they're not yet. Uh, I hope they do for the Rangers' sake. Uh, but you start to wonder here about where is the actual fit? You know, do they move on 
from a guy like Pavel Buchnevich, do they move Panarin over to the right side? Do they move Kreider over to the right side? Uh, I think there are a lot of potential options there. There isn't a clear fit at the moment, but you know, when you're drafting that high, especially first overall, you got to go with the best player available. You can't draft positionally uh, because of the issues that may bring down the road. And, you know, what if you go for a center because you need a center and the center sucks, Uh, you know, hindsight 2020, obviously, but that's obviously not a move that's going to look great down the road. So if you're the Rangers, no matter what, you go slam dunk, you go with the, uh, maybe not quite generational, but certainly franchise talent that you're going to get. Uh, and uh, Matt, you're kind of our prospects guy here on the podcast. So uh, what are your thoughts on Lafreniere going to the Rangers? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for them. When you look at what there was, a, like what it could have came to, I think I'm happy with the, the 11th ranked Rangers in the Eastern Conference getting that pick. Like Josh said, they don't have the best forward depth. So I think if Lafreniere has the chance to go to New York, it's a, solid option um i was watching sportsnet the other day and they said um he could learn under Kreider. they had Kreider on the first line with panarin and zibanejad um i know panarin is listed as left wing on elite prospects but if he has the chance if lafreniere has a chance between to be that second line left wing i think he he's not gonna have that pressure that he that he would have gone to if it had been a terrible team he would have been that number one lot uh, number one left wing and it would have been a lot of pressure on him so i think it's a good thing that he can go in there and hopefully not have too much pressure as a second line left wing and uh hopefully evolve his talents to what we all know he can become all right and gabe what do you think uh first overall pick going to the rangers think it'll be a good fit if they take lafreniere should they trade that pick away uh i mean it's it's dicey. Like Josh was saying, there are people like Lafreniere who plays wings, but then you have Quentin Byfield, uh, Marco Rosie, Cole Perfetti, I believe, has had some experience at center. Um, now those are three really high-end centers. So, yeah, as good as Lafreniere is going to be, uh, uh, it's, it's not guaranteed that they take him. Um, with that said, I agree with Josh. You can't, you can't pass up on this kind of talent in this draft. Um, in a recent article I did, I used a couple objective statistical models to compare Lafreniere to a uh, current NHLer, and his closest comparison was Nikita Kucherov. And if you're getting a player like that with this first overall pick, you just you can't pass up on that. Um, I think this gives New York the young player that's going to make an immediate impact that they've been wanting to build around for years now. Um, I think he's going to be what they wanted Capo Caco to be. Um, So, yeah, I think they pick him, and I think he is just the immediate poster boy of New York Rangers hockey and of Madison Square Garden. I think it's going to be a perfect pick. All right, so since everyone else here is on the draft drafting page, I kind of want to play devil's advocate here for a minute because I do think they should draft him, but let's also look at the possibility. Let's say that they do trade away that pick. There's a decent amount of depth in those top picks. So if you could, you know, trade back to, you know, even three or four, you still could potentially land 
uh, a Rossi or a Stutzel at that pick. So, or even a, a Drisdale. And they do need more defensemen based on the way Trouba played this year. Um, so I don't think it would necessarily be a bad idea to trade back. Uh, they could still get a very good, very talented young prospect. But at the same time, you know, you could stockpile other assets as well. So I don't see that they need to draft him, especially with a guy like Kreider there. I like Lafreniere. I think he would be an upgrade for sure. But there's a lot of other talent there. And if this is a team that can stockpile assets right now, they could be in much better shape down the road, especially because they are already on the cusp of winning playoffs this year. I mean, or potentially being in the playoffs this year, I should say. So I don't think it would be a bad move for them to trade back, but they should probably take Lafreniere. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate and that, you know, what is the effect on that forward group when you draft Lafreniere? Uh, you know, as you said, if you're moving him into that second left wing spot, you have Kreider in the first left wing, now Panarin moved over to the right, and a Capo Caco that's going to be ready to take that next step next year for sure. So you have him on the second right wing because there's no one to support him on the third line. Um, where does that leave Pavel Vucinevich on that team? Uh, I think uh, if that ends up being the case and, you know, they're getting Lafreniere, Vucinevich no longer has a clear spot on that team. So I think he immediately becomes a trade ship and a really intriguing one at that. And at that point, you could then package him in some deal you know, with whoever and acquire a defenseman who, you know, as good as a Jamie Drysdale is going to be, you're right. And that the Rangers are really close to breaking through here. Uh, and I think with the way that Gorton has acted in the past few years, sure, they're going to take Lafreniere, but they need an NHL defenseman now. It was so terrible this past year that they need a quick fix. Uh, and Drysdale is not going to be that. So, you know, you now have this log jam on the wing. Um, so you trade Buchnevich and in return, look for a defenseman on the trade market that you'd be able to get and help you out more immediately. Um, so, you know, not to say that, you know, the scenario you, you brought up won't happen. I just think there are a lot of different ways for the Rangers to go about fixing their issues on defense for sure. And I wanted to add in on that. Um Let's like back in 2016 when Austin Matthews was getting drafted first overall, and I was looking forward to the next few years in the drafts. There was always the watch out for the Rasmus Dahlin and the Jack Hughes, but the one that always came up was Alexis Lafreniere in 2020. And just for me, if you have the first overall pick, it's it's him or nothing because as good as Byfield's going to be, he still has a few years to develop. I think he can be that. Definitely, he's going to be that number the number one franchise center, but. If you want a guy who can come in and make an impact right away, it's going to be a lot for you. Um, and I want to go back to what Josh was saying a little bit about which winger they use as a trade chip. I'm looking at the Rangers salary cap crunch right now, and they're paying Chris Kreider $6.5 million starting next year. That's a lot of money. And he's also going to be a UFA when that deal is up. Now, when you think about that, that's also a pretty long-term deal, uh, you know, six years that he's going to be being paid that. So would you consider trading him to a, a team with a little more cap leniency, like in Ottawa, who has a lot of cap space. They're still in the early to middle stages of their rebuild where they could add a veteran presence for an amount of money that they could fit. 
So let me take a look at a guy like uh, Pavel Bushnevich. He has the capability to play on both sides of the center. He can play right and left wing. He's a versatile player. Uh, and he's also only making $3.25 million a year. Uh, granted, he only has one more year left on his contract following the conclusion of this season. Uh, but he's also restricted free agent. So it's not like they'll lose him for nothing if he decides to go somewhere else. Uh, and I don't think he'll command as much as Kreider did on that contract extension. So he's a guy that you could probably afford to keep a little bit more who is more versatile and maybe not quite as skilled. But when you're talking about the amount, the number or the ability of the forward they're going to be acquiring in this year's draft, potentially, I think it's definitely worth considering moving on from Kreider instead of Bushnevich. I was going to speak to that point as well. Um, I think bringing in a young guy like Lafreniere to play the left wing, it bumps out whoever the oldest is. Uh, and in this case, the oldest is Chris Kreider. They did just extend him. That kind of shut down all the trade rumors that have been around him for the last few years. But I think those rumors have to start back up. Um, you know, exactly what you said, his cap hit is, you know, one of the highest on the teams starting next year. And I don't think he's going to make as big of an impact as someone like, um, you know, Lafreniere or even Buchnevich, who um, Byron Bader, uh, who serves as an NHL draft consultant for a few teams, does uh, work with the statistical models I mentioned earlier. I was talking to him the other day. He said Buchnevich was one of the players that he would keep an eye on for next season to break out. Um, you know, he was speaking so highly to him. Um, so I think you bring in someone like Lafreniere, you kick out Kreider, and you have one of the youngest top six, top sixes in the league, uh, and probably the one with the most potential. Um, I think that's the exact direction that New York needs to go. And I think at that point, uh, trading Kreider, I think you're bringing in the same level of assets relative to what you're giving away as you would if you were trading away the first overall pick. Um, so with that said, I'd like to kind of move on from the uh, Lafreniere and the Rangers co uh, conversation because uh, we do have a lot of playoff action we need to break down today. And I want to start things off with the Philadelphia Flyers and Montreal Canadiens. Do we think Carey Price is going to be enough to, to stop Philadelphia? Because we saw him do exactly that with the Pittsburgh Penguins, knocking them out of postseason play. And Price really stood on his head. He played very well, and he carried that team to a victory, just like a lot of people said he was going to have to do if Montreal was going to win that series. So, Gabe, I want to start with your thoughts on this one. Uh, is Carey Price going to be enough to stop the Philadelphia Flyers from moving on to the next round? I don't think so. I think the Philadelphia Flyers are um, are unstoppable right now. And, you know, I think that way because, um, again, in a recent article, I did all I could to objectively look at Carey Price. And in the end, um, with all the, the numbers and stuff that I used, I believe I had him ranked seventh in the league this past season. So he's the seventh best goalie. Um, well, above him at number six was Vasilevsky with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we saw how Philadelphia treated them in the round robin. Um, it was only one game, but with that one game, you could tell Philly would have steamrolled Tampa in a seven game or even a five game series. Um, they were not scared of Vasilevsky at all. And then uh, Tuka Rask, number two overall goalie this past season, uh, with the numbers that I crunched, 
And I mean, I know Boston didn't play well in front of refs during the round robin at Hull, but uh, it Philly steamrolled them too. So I, I look at a team like Philly, they're not scared of good goaltending. They faced, you know, some of the best goalies in the league um, in these last few weeks, and it hasn't faced them at all. Um, and then Montreal is not helping Price at all. Uh, Montreal still ranks sixth among all playoff teams in expected goals against. Uh, just to bring up one stat, um, they're still well above or uh, well below average uh, among the playoff teams uh, from the regular season. So they're just they're not helping Price at all. Price is getting bombarded, and this is a Philly team that has absolutely no fear. Their their eyes are on the cup. All right, Matt, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on Montreal and Philadelphia? Yeah, like Gabe just said, I think no one can really stop Philadelphia at this point. I was watching the game last night, and Price looked he looked really good. He was stopping a lot of shots, but just everyone in front of him didn't look like they were even trying to help him in any way. Guys like Drake, uh, Deneau, and Gallagher, they have been guys that have been able to produce in the past, but they've done really nothing this series. When we were doing our Eastern Conference predictions a few weeks ago with the round robin, we were looking at teams, and I predicted that Philadelphia would be fourth in that, and I was completely wrong. I thought they would come in and be absolutely dominated by guys like from the teams like the Lightning, the Bruins, and the Washington Capitals, but they proved that they're a team to be reckoned with. Um, Carter Hart's looked really solid. I really liked how they played last night, and uh, I think they can make a deep run in this playoffs. So I don't really think price can stop philly at this point okay i cut out there so i don't know what the last thing matt said was but um josh let's go on to you uh josh what are your thoughts on philadelphia and montreal yeah uh i have to say i was pretty impressed with the habs in their game one showing uh i quite frankly thought it was better than any game they put together against pittsburgh in the qualifying round um you know they weren't great defensively but they certainly gave Philadelphia some trouble uh, and with how well they've been playing that's a pretty big compliment um, but you know for Montreal to win this series Price was going to have to steal the show uh, and there's a guy in Philly named Carter Hart who's going to stop that from happening um, you know Price has been good Hart matched him every step of the way in that game one. Um, so, you know, the only way it works for a goalie to steal a series is if the other goalie isn't stealing it. If you've got two goalies who are both at a level where they can steal the series, right, the better team is going to win. Uh, I'll always reference that uh, first-round series between Vegas and Los Angeles quite a few years ago. Um, Jonathan Quick played probably the best playoff hockey of his career and LA got swept uh, because Flurry was playing out of his mind as well. And Vegas was just 100% the better team. Uh, I'm not saying I think Montreal is going to get swept. I'm also not saying they're not right. Um, I don't think Philly played quite up to the way we have seen them able to play in that game one. I think they still have a little bit more that they can squeeze out of themselves there. And I think they will, uh, considering how much they've united around that team's culture and how well Elaine Vigneault has done with that squad this year. Um, 
the best is yet to come for Philadelphia. Uh, they're any, anybody's solid pick to win the cup right now. Um, certainly out of the East, I think they've, you know, faced a lot of adversity this year and still come out looking like the better team under a lot of different occasions. Uh, so to answer the original question, no, Carey Price is not nearly enough to stop the Philadelphia Flyers at this point. Yeah, and I'll have to agree with you there, Josh. Uh, with the way Carter Hart has played, it's kind of looking like he could be the eventual replacement for Carey Price in the NHL in terms of uh, uh, next goalie in the NHL because he's still very young and a lot of promise, a lot of talent there. Um, and he could lead the Philadelphia Flyers to a, a title. He could lead them to being a consistent contender uh, in the terms of the way that he, he's played. So I don't think Price can necessarily stop Philly on his own. But that said, uh, Montreal plays a pretty good defensive game as far in terms of the way that they performed where, as to where they should be. They should be the bottom of the league in terms of the overall talent on that roster. They've got Gallagher and Deneau and Drouin, but outside of Shea Weber, you know, there's nothing really else there on that roster in terms of skaters who can propel this team forward. Carey Price is the only thing that's stopping this team from being swept at this point. Uh, the Flyers have just played too well since entering the bubble. I don't see a single team in the league that can really contend with the Flyers. I have them going all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. I truly think that this team is outperforming all expectations people had for them coming into the bubble. So if Carey Price plays well, you know, maybe he can steal a game or two here and there, but I don't see a reason why Montreal – will be uh, moving on to the next round. Uh, so with that said, any other thoughts on Montreal and Philadelphia? Right. So uh, let's move on to Columbus and Tampa Bay. Uh, rematch of last year, of course, Tampa Bay getting swept after a record-breaking regular season uh, in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets with an outstanding upset. Uh, and then we saw them go five overtimes in their first game this playoffs, the fourth longest game in NHL history. Uh, so this is where I have to ask, does Columbus have enough in the tank to uh, knock out Tampa Bay? And, of course, we did see them even the series at one game apiece earlier today. So, Matt, let's start with you on this one. Do you think Columbus has what it takes to knock Tampa out? Um, that's a tough one for me. Um, I was watch as well watching – the record fifth overtime game and seeing how well Corpus Salo played. I think just with him standing on top of his head, he kept them in the game for as long as he could. And then watching the game today as well, he played really well. Tampa looked like they had a bunch of chances, but he kept turning them away. And then they actually came out in one, three, one. He has a 0.960 save percentage in the playoffs this year. I think that's has to be at the top of the leaderboards. I'll just check quickly. Yeah, one of, one of the top goalies. So for me, I think someone in the chat mentioned earlier today that Columbus, I think, has played eight games in nine days. So I think exhaustion could get to them soon, especially having just played, a, like I just mentioned, a five-overtime game. But I think they could, with guys like Dubois, Bjorkstrand, and all those guys performing, Foodie, Texier, I think they can make it really close. 
All right, Gabe, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on Columbus and Tampa Bay? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with, uh, with everything he just said. Um, I think we saw that on, uh, what was it, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. I think we saw that on Thursday. Um, Columbus put up a fight, and Corpusalo held him in there. I think he had, what, 36 saves that game? Um, so, yeah, uh, Torts isn't going to let this team go down without a fight. And I think that's really um, that's really the difference maker here. Uh, I think you saw that with the game two incident where he and Dubois got into it on the bench, and you know, everyone's eyes kind of kind of raised, wondering you know what's going on between those two and stuff. Um, you know, wondering if there's bad blood. But then Dubois went out in game three, scored a hat trick, uh, including the the overtime game winner. He was all over the lease that game and stuff. Um, so, so Tortorella isn't letting this team get by with, you know, oh, we're, we beat expectations. We made the playoffs. You know, we can, we can be happy with ourselves. Um, I think in terms of pure heart and dedication and wanting to win, uh, Columbus is just in a league of their own right now. And I think it's that more than anything that's going to uh, rival the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I do have Columbus beating them, but this is going to be a seven-game series. This is going to be a, a grit and grind and, you know, whoever whoever has that last breath is going to win it type of thing. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be real fun to watch. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of the most interesting series that I think we have in the opening round, at least to me especially because of the intensity factor, just the two of them playing last year, it takes things to another level. There's a little bit of a rivalry brewing and Tampa Bay is kind of surprised. They've played a lot more physical than a lot of people probably expected. They're a very skill-based team that hasn't had that physical aspect to it. They haven't had to grind to them. And that's something that they've definitely added this year. So that changes things for me because we did see the, physicality get the better end of them uh, last year. So now that they have that piece, I think they're more capable in terms of able to contend with Columbus because Columbus has that physicality. They they bring it on all four lines. They're defense goaltending. So there's nothing that's to me that says this game will not go seven. I don't see a reason it doesn't go seven. When you have an all-star caliber team, basically what the Tampa Bay Lightning is at this point is like their top forward group or their top forward line and their top defensive pairing. That is basically an all-star roster. Uh, Tampa Bay is just too good to not win a few games in the series. So uh, it's going to go seven. And Columbus is, they bring that, as we talked about in our predictions, the ability to roll four lines. And that really proved to be the, the key against Toronto. So that's going to be the key for them against Tampa Bay as well, to match that skill-based game with the aggressive physical style of play that they've been playing for the last few weeks. So I like Columbus, and I think they've got enough left in the tank. It's going to be tough. They're definitely going to be tired by the end of it. I don't think they could make a deep run, but I could see them making it past the end of this round uh, and knocking the Tampa Bay Lightning out of the playoffs. That said, though, I really would not be surprised if Tampa Bay comes out and wins it either. It's really a – a coin flip in terms of who could walk out winners. So, uh, Josh, let's head to you. What do you think about Tampa and Columbus? 
Yeah, um, man. <clears throat> if you had asked me before game two, I'd have said completely no way. Even experiencing what we saw last year with Columbus sweeping them, uh, you know, a loss like that is so demoralizing. Um, and the fact that they had played the equivalent of eight games in nine days. You know, Seth Jones playing 65 minutes in one game looked no worse for wear in game two. Um, and for me, it's not only the fact that Tampa lost, it's the way they lost in game two. Um, that the Lightning have decidedly been the better team through two games. I don't think there's anyone who would argue that point. But I watched game two of this Columbus-Tampa series pretty closely, and I began to see the exact same things that were uh, plaguing Tampa last year. Um, yeah, Tampa was the better team, but look at that 3-1 goal that Alex Wenberg scored for Columbus. I'm not a huge fan of either of these teams. That one had me raised my voice. What were you doing on that play? You had four guys on the ice. It was a one-on-four. Columbus shouldn't have even had a semblance of a chance to score on that play. Um, and everyone just checked out. Guys on the ice, Sergachev and Shattenkirk, Shattenkirk especially, uh, Vasilevsky not ready for the shot at all. Um, and it's things like that. Um, Tampa's got the skill, man. You saw it. Braden Point had a great game one. Um, and they really shouldn't be at much of a disadvantage without Stamkos. They're that deep of a team. But Columbus looked like they wanted it more in game two. A team that had played the equivalent of eight games in nine nights looked like they wanted it more than a team who, you know, would have finished with 110 points if the regular season hadn't been cut short. Uh, so you can say game one was a demoralizing loss for Columbus, you know, not necessarily embarrassing. Game two was an embarrassing loss for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and all the hope that I had for them coming out of game one, uh, was completely gone. The exact same things resurfaced. They showed absolutely no resiliency when Columbus, you know, took the lead there. I noticed no difference watching the Tampa Bay Lightning today and the Toronto Maple Leafs in all the games that Toronto lost in that series. They looked like the exact same team to me. Uh, and Tampa's just not going to win playing that way. So someone in that room needs to hit the panic button. They just do. Because there's no way that Tampa is going to win another game in this series playing this way. I think there's two ways this goes. I think Columbus could run the table here. I think Columbus could win this series in five. Um, but if Tampa Bay is going to win this thing, they're going to have to scratch and claw. It's going to need to go six. It's going to need to go seven games. Uh, do I think they can do it? Yeah, they totally can. Uh, everything I've seen out of them Every uh, advanced stat I've seen tells me they can, tells me they will. Uh, and my gut's just not fallen for any of that. I think 
Columbus has Tampa Bay right where they want them. They're in their heads again. And Tampa Bay has shown us perpetually for the past decade that they're not a very mentally strong team. They can be dominant with their play, but if you match up against them in a battle of attrition, you're going to beat them. They're not a bend but not break sort of team. Tampa's either hot or they're not. Uh, And Columbus has put them back right below where the Blue Jackets are playing, just in terms of their physicality level and things like that. It was just frustrating. I'd be mad at my team all over again if I'm a Lightning fan, and I wouldn't call it an overreaction. You see the exact same things that have been plaguing them for so long reappear in full force in game two today. Uh, I, I'd be really scared if I'm a Lightning fan right now. My question yeah. with that series then, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, it, let's say Columbus, you know, pulls one out of the hat, finds a way to beat a Tampa Bay Lightning team that was clawing for the first place in the league spot when the, when the season was cut short. Uh, is this, is a Columbus win in this series more impressive than a Columbus win last year? I mean, I argue yes, because you look at what Tampa Bay has done to change the way they've played this year. Like I said earlier, last year Tampa Bay was very skill-based. And, yeah, they're still a very skill-based team now. But last year they were not bringing the physical element to the game, and that's what wins in the playoffs. You need the speed and the skill to score goals, which is obviously the key to winning games. But at the same time, if a team has that edge on you in a gritty sense – they're going to at least push you six or seven games. They're not going to go down without a fight. Uh, and they may even just they may just even win it. So I'd say this is a little bit more impressive just because Tampa Bay hasn't changed a lot in terms of their personnel, but they've changed their game to match the way Columbus plays, and that's what makes them more dangerous this year. So I'd say that if Columbus pulls out another win this year, I'd say it's more impressive than a sweep last year. Yeah, yeah me I, too. I, go ahead. Yeah, I, sorry, Josh. Um, I think it's more impressive as well because with the Lightning and having their record season last year, they said they hadn't played meaningful hockey last season since like the middle of, middle of February because they knew they had already clinched the President's Trophy. And then this year, even with COVID and everything, I think it's more impressive because you have a team that's trying to play hockey and has has actual the has the grit and everything that's going to make this series a tough win a tough series win to pull out. Yeah, so I think. This series, if Columbus does pull it out of the bag or the hat, it will be a lot more impressive than last year. Yeah, I think it's more impressive than last year. It's less unexpected than last year. Um, I think it's more impressive for a variety of factors. One, you know, considering all the roster pieces Columbus lost. um, And two, how exhausted that team should be with how much they've played coming into the series. Um, which makes it really impressive to me about how they've just been able to keep rolling despite everything that has happened to that team. You know, it was no Atkinson, no problem in game two. Uh, didn't even notice he was gone. Uh, so, yeah, it's more impressive for sure. But it's not more 
unexpected. You know, that was the whole storyline of, you know, going into this series. I'm sure there's a handful of people at least who just picked Columbus just because, you know, it's like the people who would just pick Pittsburgh over Washington every time, just because it was bound to happen. That is just what happened. Uh, and I think Tampa's completely fallen into that Washington syndrome here. All right, guys, any last thoughts real quick before we move on? All right. So let's look at uh, Washington. Uh, Braden Holtby has definitely not been playing the same level of hockey this year as he has in years past. And when they're playing a very good Islanders team, it doesn't score a lot of goals. Does it really matter how Holtby is played, or is he going to cost them the series? Um, so, Josh, let's start with you on this one. What do you think about Holtby and the Washington Capitals facing off against the Islanders? Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say on this one. Uh, I picked the Islanders from the outset to win this. Um, not because I thought Holtby would play this badly. Uh, game one, I was ready to change my opinion. TJ Oshie, through the first two period, periods of that game, had the best game I've ever seen TJ Oshie play. He was ridiculous. Washington looked kind of back to maybe where they were in 2018. Uh, and then the wheels completely fell off. Uh, Holtby, bad goal. Uh, goal that wasn't his fault. Goal that was directly Holtby's fault. And then you know, whatever, the 4-2 goal from the Islanders. Four unanswered goals from a team that can't score goals, half of them directly being the goaltender's fault. Um, so, obviously, Holtby did not have the game he wanted to have. Normally, I'd say it's a blip, but, man, look at the regular season he had. 897 save percentage. I don't even need to look that up because that's how bad he was, you know. When it's a number like that from a goalie who's historically so good, you don't forget those things. Um, uh, I don't think he's going to cost them this series. I didn't think Washington was going to win anyways. Uh, but now I'm almost certain Washington won't be winning this series. Um, he certainly isn't giving them a chance to win every night. Uh, that's really all I have to say. It's sad to see uh, how he's fallen off, and it'll be really interesting because this was going to be his chance to redeem himself. He's a big free agent next year, and Washington isn't going to keep him. Uh, they've got Samsonov on the way. Um, who, who's going to take him, and for how much? Because uh, if Holtby plays like this, he's going to end up in Robin Leonard this summer. He's going to need to take a one-year deal to prove he can still be an NHL goalie. Uh, because he's been one of the worst in the league this year, not just among starters. Yeah, no, and I think that Holpe's, he's not really going to cost them a series, but he's certainly not helping, because as I said before, the Islanders, they are very defensive-oriented. They don't have the offensive firepower that other NHL rosters have. So when you look at the weak goaltending, it's just going to help the Islanders' case to win the series even further. Not to mention the fact that so Barry Trotz used to be the head coach of the Washington Capitals. He knows this team inside and out. It was only a couple of years ago that he led them to a Stanley Cup championship. So 
he knows best how to beat that team. He's spent years trying to hide their weaknesses. So now that he has a chance to exploit them from the other side, he's definitely going to take advantage. Uh, so giving him a weak goaltender to shoot on, so his for his weakened forward or weak forward group has an opportunity to put pucks in the net. I just don't see how uh, Washington will win this series. So he's certainly not helping them, but I also don't think he's the weakest link on that uh, Capitals team at this point. So, uh, Gabe, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on the Washington and the Islanders? Yeah, I agree with Josh. Um, I don't – whole piece has been bad, yeah. We've all we've all established that in our own right. Um, he's just he's had a bad regular season. He's not picking it up at all uh, in the postseason. It's just you know he looks like a completely different goalie than what we saw two years ago. Um, but I like Josh said, I don't think he's going to cost him the series. Uh, I think what's going to cost him the series is an injury to uh, Nicholas Backstrom. Um, this is a the Capitals offense is so unique. Um, there are a lot of teams with no depth players that have their stars that carry the load. Um, you know, look at look at teams like Edmonton, for example. Uh, although they're a bit extreme, but this Washington lineup does not rely on their depth. They don't rely on their defense. Um, every single ounce of offense comes from Oshie, Ovechkin, Backstrom, and um, Kuznetsov um, and I when one of those four guys are out when one of them's injured they just don't look like the same team um, Kuznetsov missed I think he only missed like a week or so earlier in this season and the Caps did not look the same without him um, I don't have the exact number of the record without him or anything pulled up right now but I remember distinctively uh, they just fell off and I think Backstrom's an even bigger loss because now you're losing Ovechkin's right-hand man and stuff. So Holpe's been bad. Um, Holpe is not doing them any favors in the series. But I think the defining blow is that they're losing one of the four offensive pieces that they have, and they don't have uh, any sort of backup plan. They don't have a depth to rely on. They don't have systems in place that allow them to rely on their defense. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think things are crumbling for Washington, and it's something that I did not at all expect going into this series. All right, Matt, your thoughts on Islanders-Capitals? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have as much new to add. You guys pretty much said everything. I don't think Holpe cost them this series. We all know he's a bad – he hasn't been up – up to his usual stuff, but if Washington's going to win this series, it's going to have to be because Ovechkin, Backstrom, and all those guys are at the top of their game, and I simply don't think that's what we're going to see with the Islanders know what they're doing. They play a great stingy defensive game, and it seems to, like you said, Trotz knows how to pick apart these guys' weaknesses, and it looks like he's done perfectly fine in doing that. I was looking at stats, and Oshie's their leader. He is currently... 102nd amongst all playoff forwards and points with three, and he is their leader in points. So I don't think Washington, although as, as bad as Holpe's been this uh, in game one, I don't think he ultimately cost this series. It's going to be the whole team that cost them this um, with them going home. All right, so moving on to the next series on our list, 
uh, is Boston and Carolina, another matchup that we saw last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'd like to start breaking down the performance from Boston a little bit. So you look at the last game, and it was amazing. The, The turnaround on that team was incredible. When they said, when you hear, like, this team's looking to just flip a switch when the round robin's over and really kick it into high gear, all I could think was, that's not something that's really possible. That's that's really tough to do, and playoffs are a totally different beast than regular season games. So as much as I can appreciate the fact that that's what they're trying to do, I just didn't see it as a realistic possibility. So now when we take a look at what really happened is that they truly did flip that switch. They came away with a double overtime uh, game winner from Patrice Bergeron in that first game. They looked – it was night and day compared to what they were doing in the round robin. So I really would like to applaud this team in in terms of the turnaround. Uh, But I also don't think that the perfection line played as big of an impact as it they appeared to, because you look, obviously Bergeron had the game winner. Yes. But what really stood out to me was how well the Krejci line played the second line. When you have DeBrusque and Kasha on the wings of Krejci, uh, that line is it's going to fly under the radar a little bit because none of those players really stand out as big names, but they're all really solid contributors and great depth players or not depth players, but great secondary scoring options. Uh, so they're really going to be the key to this series more than the perfection line, because everyone knows that that, that Pasternak, Marshawn and Bergeron are coming for them and they're going to crash and that they're going to score lots of goals. Yeah. Everyone knows that that line is the most, one of the most dangerous units in the NHL. People don't know about that second line quite as much. So I think that's really going to be the key in this series. Uh, And then looking at Carolina a little bit, the defense is obviously outstanding. They have a lot of talented young defensemen who can play a lot of minutes. Uh, But I think Boston's forward depth just kicks them in the pants a little bit more than uh, Carolina's expecting. So we'll have to definitely have to keep an eye on that. But I do like the second line uh, to – really push Boston through this series. So, Matt, let's start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on Carolina and Boston? Yeah. Um, my internet was cutting out, so I didn't catch all of it. But like you said, I think Boston's depth is amazing. They have guys on every line that can go out there and make an impact, whether it be Kasha, Krejci, the perfection line, guys like Wagner, who had a great round robin. Um, but then you look at Carolina and watching them through their series with the Rangers. I don't think any – I'd be hard-matched to find any team that looked like they played a better series as a whole. You've got guys like Aho and Sveshnikov that were absolutely dominant that entire series and have continued through the it, um, through the first game of this series. Aho's tied first with McDavid in points with nine in four games. Um, I think he's really come out as a one of the premier players in this league. I don't think – if at the end of the day, if you look at – both teams, I don't think the perfection line is going to bring them over the top. I think Carolina is going to do, going to make this series close. But I think if you're looking, Carolina is a really good team. And I just think at the end of the day, if any, if they stand a chance, then it's going to be because they're all working together. And if the Bruins can pull out the win, it's not going to be just because of the perfection line. It's going to be because Ras Kalak were good in net and the defense was playing well. All right, Gabe, let's go to you for your thoughts on this series. Yeah, I I agree again. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know about you guys, and I know we didn't discuss this much um, yesterday, so I'd love to hear your thoughts, but it, game one of the Boston Carolina series to me looked like um, the, the polar opposite of what I think we all expected. Uh, like Brandon said, Boston came out flying. They looked like the Boston Bruins that we all know and hate. Um, you know, they were they were effective. I feel like their entire lineup was strong. Um, and then Carolina did not look like the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, like Matt said, were the the best team in the qualifying qualifying round. Um, Philadelphia in their round robin was terrific, but honestly, Carolina blew me away even more than Philadelphia did. Um, the cohesion there, the the effort you were getting from guys who have never really shown much much of any effort, uh, guys like Joel Edmondson, Brady Shea, um, you, the random names that are on the Carolina Hurricanes bottom six. I can't I can't think of all of them. Um, you know the the Carolina Hurricanes were incredible. You know, and in that game one against Boston, they just they weren't there. They weren't that. Um, and so while I applaud Boston's rebound, um, I wish the Blues could do the same. Um, I think I think Carolina is going to come out tonight. Uh, I think they're going to explode. And the once Aho, once Svechnikov, you know, once their guys get rolling, there's no there's no stopping the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, obviously. The game one went into double overtime, uh, despite the Hurricanes playing poorly. And there was some controversy over whether Boston even deserved the win with, you know, blown calls and whatever. Um, so I just, I think, you know, Carolina played poor, forced two overtimes. If Carolina can find their footing again, they're, they're going to, you know, I could see Carolina winning this in five. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna agree with that. Uh, I'm gonna revert to precedence. I saw the exact same thing in that game one that I saw all through the Eastern Conference final last year. Um, and it's that Carolina. I mean, yeah, they had a tough time with Washington, but you know, they were still, you know, they were pretty evenly matched with Washington and came away with the win as they should have. Uh, and then went and completely steamrolled the Islanders. Um, kind of similarly to how they beat the Rangers in the qualifying round this year. And then once they hit Boston, they just hit a wall. Uh, even with how well Carolina had been playing. I think the same thing's going to happen. I don't think they're getting swept by any means. I think you know Carolina could win tonight. Carolina could not win. I don't think it really matters. Um, I'm seeing the same thing where there's just something about that Boston-Carolina matchup where Boston is able to defend Carolina's top guys in a way that just pushes them slightly out of their comfort zone enough to really hamper their impact. Um, and then as good as Aho and Svechnikov were, this is also only their second go of it in the playoffs. And you have to wonder if they've really figured it out yet. I get that they went three rounds last year, um, but age is a concern for me. 
Uh, and of course it's not with Boston considering that, you know, they have top flight guys that have gone to the cup finals three times now um, in 2011, 2013 and last year losing to the glorious St. Louis blues. Um, but man, yeah, as much as I love Carolina, I really do. I want them to succeed so badly. Uh, I think they have a great culture around that team. It's not happening this year. Um, I don't think Boston makes a terribly deep run either, but um, that matchup just does not favor the Hurricanes in any way, shape, or form. Mrazek didn't – I mean, he looked okay, just like he looked okay against Boston last year. I just don't think this team, aside from Aho and Svechnikov and maybe Teravainen too, has that top-flight talent. And apparently Dougie Hamilton was back in game one. I forgot that. That should not be happening. Hamilton was invisible, so I think he's either still banged up. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. Carolina's got too many injuries to take over a healthy Boston team. Something I want to add, to that I kind of neglected earlier was the forward depth that Carolina has. I know you're saying right now that you don't think they have what it takes in terms of offensive firepower, but I kind of have to disagree. While they don't have the same level of talent, they do have a fair amount of depth. You look at guys like Ryan Zingle, uh, Jordan Stahl, which it's tough to think, think of him as really a depth guy, and then Nino Niederreiter. So they do have some guys who fall outside of that top line that are more than capable of producing offense and I think could really make a difference in, t- in the series. Yeah, it would be great if they could show me that. I agree with you in name only. I mean, they've – Niederreiter's had a down year. Dezingle has had a down year. Um, and while they've set precedent for themselves for being reliable depth guys – uh, they haven't. Sh- they haven't given me a reason to believe in believe in them this year, um, and I really, really like those guys too. I really want Carolina to succeed, um, but Boston turned it on like I knew they could, and I don't think it's going to be a quick exit for Carolina. But I don't see a way that they can get past Boston. All right, so. Uh, looking at the Western Conference now, the Chicago Blackhawks snuck away with a win over the Edmonton Oilers in the qualifying round, and now they are faced with a much tougher matchup in the Vegas Golden Knights. So, Josh, let's start with you on this one. What does Chicago need to do in order to compete with the Knights? Um, well, let's see. The reason why they beat Edmonton was Jonathan Tates. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. Uh, I also just thought Chicago was the better team in that series. They came to play. They made a, They played a much more disciplined game uh, for sure. But Chicago had the puck a lot in that series. Like they were just able to kind of play keep away, which is why Edmonton's depth was never able to get going after the CU Ennis guys like that. They just never had the puck. Um, and now Chicago's matched up the Vegas team that plays the puck possession game, quite frankly, better than anyone in the league. Um, And I feel pretty confident in saying I did not notice Jonathan Taze in game one. Chicago's only goal in game one was a shorthanded pseudo breakaway from David camp. 
on a mistake that Shea Theodore is never going to make nine times out of ten. Um, and I didn't think Vegas was even playing at their best either. I thought it was kind of a feeling out sort of game. Um, I certainly think Chicago could orchestrate it so that they don't get swept. Chicago's impressed me a lot. Um, but Vegas has just kept the puck away. They've siphoned them off. Uh, and Chicago can't do anything when they don't have the puck. They don't have the defensive structure or even the offensive structure to deal with that. Um, and that's not something that can be fixed in the length of a playoff series. It just can't. It's a longer-term fix. Uh, they don't have the talent for it. Uh, this should be a quick and painless exit for Chicago. All right, Matt, so your thoughts on Vegas and Chicago? Really, the way Chicago played against the Oilers, I mean, the Oilers are a team that are definitely top-heavy with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but they're two forwards that are definitely at the top of the league. I think Chicago played really well. Kubelik had five points in his first playoff game. I think Taze kind of reemerged as a solid player. I, I know Kane didn't really have a, a great series, but he still he can still contribute when there are. But looking at Chicago up against Vegas, watching the first game, I didn't think Vegas played their greatest game either. I think that's what Josh said. But I think... I just don't think Chicago can definitely – I don't – I'll restart. I don't think Chicago can come in and do the same thing that they did to the Oilers just because Vegas is such a deep team, and I expect them to – although they just tied it up, I think. I think it's 2-2 in the game while we're recording right now. I think at the end of the day, Vegas is going to come out with the win, and I don't think Chicago can really do anything other than just hope and pray that the way that they're playing right now is going to – Give them a, a, a win or two in this series. Chicago tied it? Yeah. Oh, damn. Who yeah, from Kane and someone else. And Doc got the first yeah. goal. I mean, good for him. All right. That makes okay. things interesting. Oh, they're out shooting Vegas. Maybe oh. we should give them more credit, damn. <laughs> yeah, was not expecting that. All right, Chicago, go off. Um, and I will like to say that I do think the key to this series is going to be the young guys for Chicago because obviously we know that guys like Taze, Kane, Duncan Keith, uh, Corey Crawford, they've all got the experience. They've been in the situation before. They all won three cups together. So it's it's no question they're going to be ready for playoff hockey. The real question is can the new guys step up to the plate and do the same thing that they did a few years, uh, that the vets did a few years ago. You've got guys like Adam Bachvist on defense. And then you've got Kirby Doc and Alex DeBrinkett. So those guys, if they can really step up, I give Chicago a legitimate shot to win this series. I wouldn't have said that coming in. I really didn't think so. But the fact that they've played as well as they have, it wouldn't surprise me too much to see them at least snag a couple of games or a couple more games and push this thing to six or seven. So to see that Chicago could be potentially entering another dynasty phase, that's incredible to me to see that what this team has done uh, in just a couple uh, couple of years. So, Gabe, I want to go to you lastly. Uh, what are your thoughts on Chicago and Vegas? Big Stone just scored. Yeah. The game okay. up next. <laughs> um, I was going to try and have it up, but my internet wasn't going to be able to deal. Oh, wow. What a beautiful goal. All right. Damn. Uh, all right. Okay. 
Good. Yeah, Josh, make sure, make sure to it. keep that reaction in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I sat down before before we started recording and was was trying to think. What a goal! <laughs> I was trying to think what um, what any team could do to stop Vegas because Vegas is a cup favorite. They've looked incredible. They have guys like Mark Stone that are just, um, you know, one of the best players in the league. Um, so I really, I sat down and I tried to think, you know, how would anyone stop Vegas? And I think the key is shutting down their defense. Um, their defense's ability to control transition, control the rush, um, the the pace, the every every aspect of the game really is decided by the Vegas Golden Knights defense. Um, and so if I'm a hockey team trying to beat Vegas in a seven game series, I'm hyper focusing on shutting down that defense and finding ways to make them find alternatives, find other ways to get the puck through the neutral zone, find other ways to, um, to set up in the offensive end besides playing the puck back to Theodore or uh, John Merrill or the bunch of other defensemen that they have that came out of the woodworks. Um, because, you know, John Merrill's really... the second defenseman that comes to mind. Who, who <laughs> I'm else? sorry, what? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, but, but no, it's, it's those six guys that control everything. Um, but it's there that the, that the issue is in this Chicago Vegas matchup is you're asking Chicago to not only play defense, but to play like game specific, hyper focused defense. And that's not something Chicago's been good at doing these last couple of years. Um, Chicago's defense has been atrocious and they've been lucky enough to have guys like Corey Crawford bail them out. Um, especially this season, I feel like. So, you know, what should Chicago do to beat Vegas? Shut down their defense. Uh, oh, hyper-focus on guys like Mark Stone, um, Paul Stasny, you know, those stars. Um, but I don't think Chicago can do this. Uh, you know, I, I do think there's merit in praising guys like Taze and Crawford and Kubalik um, and Doc even who have all been incredible through the qualifying qualifying round and even the start of this first round. But I don't think that those guys have enough to overcome a Vegas team that dominated the round robin and that has dominated the series so far. Um, you know, you guys are, you guys are saying you think Chicago could push it to five, six, seven games and, I do think that's in the realm of possibility, but I I don't think it'll happen. I don't think sitting here watching Chicago play, I see enough in their tank to really topple a Vegas team that's been terrific for the last six, seven, eight months, yeah. excluding the COVID break. If I could add something in that I completely forgot, is Max Pacioretty out in game two? Like he's yeah, he's game? not. He's not in game two. Yeah, Robin so Leonard did start that. And I don't he didn't play in the round robin, did he? I don't think he did. So that's something that 
that's another dynamic. I know him and Stone had really good chemistry in the season before the COVID break. So I think, like Gabe said, Chicago's defense is atrocious. I mean, they're lucky that they got contributions from guys like Cuckoo and Mata during the their series against the Oilers, but I don't think they'll be getting as much as as lucky as they did. Crawford is good enough to bail them out maybe one or two games, but when you add that dynamic that I completely forgot about with Pacioretty, I just think the Vegas Golden Knights are going to take another step forward and make a long run. Yeah, I just got to interject real quick. I know we're already kind of running long, but we got some uh, news breaking here that Dan Hamhus has announced his retirement from the NHL. Figured we should just spend a couple minutes on that since it's just happening as we're recording. Um, that, you know, it has no effect on Nashville. He was barely playing at the end, but he was kind of an interesting guy to watch for, you know, as long as he played. Um, you don't really see true defensive defensemen like that play for that long and sustain the level of play that he did. Didn't he go to the Olympics once or twice? I think he did. I thought I um, thought he had, yeah. Yeah, because he was part of that crazy good Canucks team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, good for him. I think he's what? He's 37. I mean, he's certainly old. 12th overall, 2001, 356 points. 1,148 games played, 16 seasons with Nashville, Vancouver, and Dallas. So not a bad career. No. And he was I, – I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you ever had opinions on him. I always wanted him to do good. I loved him in Vancouver. I loved him in Nashville. He was one of those guys that's like he, – he's just one of those shutdown uh, leadership kind of guys. Um that that polarized me watching him play so yeah happy retirement to him um it's i'm surprised i'm surprised i totally forgot he existed <laughs> right chrome <laughs> scored oh no damn that's not a good damn the first one was a good damn the second one was a bad one <laughs> <laughs> is that did that not turn on <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're we're going off the rails here it's fine all right you know what? this is uh, good though i like we should have stuff like this more frequently i think it'll help like lighten totally it needs to be more yeah, yeah. so okay. and this is like one of the first podcasts we've had where we've been able to actively have games on in the background too yeah. all right uh all right, so we'll, we'll move on to arizona and colorado now if that's cool yeah this yeah. one ought to be quick yeah yeah yeah. All right, so let's get started with the Arizona Coyotes and Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Arizona obviously has outstanding goaltending in Darcy Kemper, and Colorado is just loaded everywhere <laughs> uh, with the roster that they've been able to put together amazingly. So, Josh, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the Colorado Avalanche and Arizona Coyotes? Yeah, hashtag free Darcy Kemper, man. Oh, I mean, what a game. I – I had watched like kind of the second period and then the third period and it was like 10 minutes in and we, okay, screw this. So I went up and like either got some food or went for a walk or something. And then I came back and it was three, nothing, which was great. Um, yeah. I just, I expected Arizona to do at least something 
I thought they would beat Nashville, but not that easily. I was really impressed with the Coyotes, but oh my God, that was sad. It was sad to watch. Uh, and Kemper is so, so... I mean, has any goalie been truly like better than him for One. the past couple seasons? No. No. Connor Hellebuck. Well... Okay. I got to agree with Gabe. It's, it's Connor Hellebuck. Okay, Hellebuck. Hellebuck. They're, they're right there, yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, yeah, Darcy Kemp, I can't even think. I don't follow other sports enough to think of a good comparable for him. I mean, that is not even close to a household name. Um, wow, what a little career he's put together for himself. Uh, but this series isn't going longer than six. I mean, he can put up a 950 in this series, and it's not going longer than six. Uh, As good as Arizona was in kind of limiting quality for Colorado, Colorado was just able to continuously punch and punch and tear and tear. Um, And just get him to that point in the third period where the Coyotes were just so exhausted defensively that the dam just broke there for, like, what was it, two minutes? that Colorado scored all their goals in. I think it was 82 seconds. Uh, so I have a feeling that's going to be the blueprint for how every game goes in this series. Uh, as much as I like the Coyotes, as much as I like their team, um, Colorado's too good. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> uh, I kind of got to agree. I, as good as – as, or as, I should say as good of a season, but as, as surprising of a season as the Arizona Coyotes had this year. Nobody in the NHL, except for maybe the Bruins, can hold a candle to Colorado's top line of Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rangelin. That line is deadly, it is dangerous, and it will rip you apart defensively. I don't see how Arizona can keep up with that. I mean, I know that they added a couple nice pieces in Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel, but Colorado not only has that amazing top line, but they have a decent amount of depth too with guys like um, Jonas Donskoy, Burakovsky. They've got uh, Nazim Kadri. So it's all, all the pieces are there. And that's not even talking about the offensive capabilities of their stud defenseman, Kel McCarr. So this team has some serious places they could go this year. I have them as my Stanley Cup champions in my bracket that I filled out a couple weeks ago, for being totally honest. Um, but this team is one of the best teams in the NHL right now. Goaltending is a little bit concerning with Colorado. I don't particularly love either Grubauer or Francois, but at the same time, the pure ability of all of their skaters, I don't see that being much of an issue down the line, especially when they're playing an Arizona team that is just getting their first taste of playoff action in years. So, Gay, let's go to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on Arizona and Colorado? Yeah. Um, game one, Darcy Kemper uh, was incredible. He put up – I genuinely probably put up the best goaltending performance that we've seen this postseason other than Corpus Allo. I was going to say. For eight years straight in one game and somehow coming away with – you know, not the win, but coming away with one of the most respectable games in in um, NHL history, really. Uh, but Kemper's right behind him. He's played incredible. Uh, but the um, 
my audio changed, so there might be a different little sound. I'm sorry if it's worse. Um, but the the shot totals, oh, it changed back. No, it didn't. Oh, my computer's having all sorts of issues. Can you it's guys not, hear me? It, it's louder, but yeah, more, we can hear you. So we're we're good with it. Yeah. I I'm getting all sorts of notifications. Oh. I'm sorry. And now that. you're back to the old way. Oh, it changed again. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, shot attempts in game one were uh, 14 for Arizona compared to 40 for Colorado. That, that discrepancy should not exist. Colorado controlled almost all the possession. They, you know, almost had four times the shots that Arizona did. Um, so I don't think the story here is Colorado, if I'm being honest. Colorado's amazing. Um, I have them winning the Stanley Cup in one of my brackets, too. I have it between them, Carolina, and Philadelphia are my three brackets. Um, but the story here is an Arizona offense that just doesn't care and an Arizona defense that just doesn't care. Um, it's Darcy Kemper behind a team that does not look like they want to be here, that is not putting up any sort of fight. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see this game going past five, if I'm being honest. And I, I have a weird gut feeling that even that's being a bit liberal. All right, Matt, let's go to you for your thoughts on Arizona and Colorado. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that all three of you guys have said. Kemper's been one of the best goalies this season. You can't deny the fact that he's been one of the main factors why Arizona even reached the playoffs and even won their series. But if you're comparing them against Colorado, I just I don't see where how they stand a chance. You look at McKinnon and that top line, and then Kadri, who's leading all of Colorado in points right now. And you look at McCard and the Gerard Johnson and all those guys, although McCard's the only one who's consistently contributing on offense, the, all those guys can make some damage on a nightly basis. And I just, I don't, I really don't see how they could either take this to even five games. I just think Arizona looks depleted. They look lost and they look like they're about to exit the playoffs really soon. In terms of, of mismatch, and, and I ask this because that game one between Arizona and Colorado was so bad, in terms of raw mismatch, do you think this is the most unbalanced series in the playoffs right now? Or do you think that still belongs to something like uh, Chicago and Vegas? I'd go Philly and Montreal. Yeah. Really? That's um, well, actually, it's no. I'll, it's really tough. Like, it's really tough. I had a lot of disappointment this year. I thought Arizona could at least, you know, make it interesting, but game one. I, I think it is. I think Arizona, yeah, I think Arizona came out of Nashville or out of the Nashville series. Can't say came out of Nashville anymore because they're all in Edmonton. 
but I think they came out of that series, yeah, looking like they could do some damage, looking like they were, I don't want to say the team to beat in the West, but of the um, of the teams that got matched up against the round robin team. So of Arizona, Vancouver, Calgary, and Chicago, I think Arizona really made it look like they were the the contenders. Um, and then that game one performance, I think that com- completely flips the script. I think it, I think it says, hey, we're not here to play, and you know we're clearly, clearly out of our element against one of the best teams in the league, and probably, hopefully, maybe the Stanley Cup winner. Um, so yeah, I'm saying yes. It's just so so imbalanced. For sure. I, I I think they could get swept. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. Darcy Kemper does not deserve that. All right, so moving on to the next series on our list, the Dallas Stars and Calgary Flames. Does Dallas have what it takes to compete with a Calgary team that has a lot of high-quality forward group, a lot of high-quality forward pieces as well as some rather impressive defensive ones when Dallas is really just, you know, a couple of aging vets that added some more older guys to try and push them to the next level. Uh, Do they have what it takes to beat a really strong Calgary team? So Gabe, let's start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on Calgary and Dallas? Well, the story here is obviously Dallas's offense. Um, Ben Bishop, Anton Kudobin, uh, two, two of the best goalies, in the league in their own right. Um, Dallas's defense, it's not jaw-dropping, but they get the job done. But Dallas's offense has struggled um, all year. They struggled last year. Um, that was the reason they lost to the Blues last postseason. Um, ben Bishop did absolutely everything in his power to beat St. Louis, and Dallas's offense didn't, didn't match it. Um, so it's, it's close. Uh, I think Dallas can beat Calgary in a, in a vacuum, but they're missing guys like Tyler Sagan. Um, Jamie Benn has been disappointing. And then you have their depth pieces that just haven't, haven't, um, you know, haven't shown up really. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think the big question is whether Tyler Sagan gets back on the ice or not. And I personally have not followed his injury news. So I don't know if you guys had any updates, but if he's back on the ice, I think this is a six, seven game series. I think it's going to be exciting, but I'm not sure where that news is. I'm not sure if he's out for the series or not. And if he's out, then Dallas is, you know, away with the win. He's playing, but he's basically come out and said that he's playing hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's not – yeah, he's not over there. Uh, Reimer is starting for Carolina tonight, by the way. Makes sense, back-to-back. Yeah. yeah. That's not good, Brandon. I'm Reimer's really, been yeah, the better goalie. I don't know. I like. I think Mrazek's better, being totally honest. But either way, all things aside – I hope they get their asses kicked. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm going to say. I hope I hope Boston <laughs> kicks their asses. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Matt, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on Dallas and Calgary? Yeah, I 
one uh, as one of only three Canadian teams that I have a soft spot for wanting to see Canada hopefully bring their first cup north of the border since 1993. It's been a really long time, but I think looking at Dallas's offense, they have a few good guys that can make an impact. I know Corey Perry is definitely not what he used to be, but he did drop the gloves with Matthew Kachuk, and I think he can go in there and hopefully make a bit of an impact. Radulov, Ben, and Sagan, if they're on top of their game, they're still guys that can make a, a difference when they're on the ice. They can pop in a few for them. I think Klingberg's been pretty good on from the back end. I just I haven't really noticed him. This is one of the series that I've been following the least amount of, but you got Ben Bishop and Anton Kudobin in that two solid goaltenders that can always we comparing them to Riddick and Talbot, although Talbot played really, really well. I think he exceeded most people's expectations in the first round. But if if you're looking if you're asking me if Dallas's offense is too anemic, I just it's a hard guess. I think if the, their top guys are rolling, I think they can take this to six games. But at the end of the day, I think Calgary with their top line of Goudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm, and then you got Kachuk, Backlund, and all those guys will pull this out in maybe six games. I think that's what I have. All right, Josh, you're up. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. I thought Dallas was going to win this series, but Calgary's depth has come out and just decided to show themselves you know i don't think anybody was ready for point per game playoff milan lucic uh you know sam bennett's looked okay uh dylan dubé has impressed um and Pan can't forget about him always gotta mention him who andrew Pan. i don't know how to pronounce him andrew tani <laughs> Yeah, ah, there, Mon- there we go. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I pronounce it in ways that help me spell it. Don't judge. Don't God, judge. you're really from the Midwest, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah. Oh, no, he's been great. But is he deaf, though? I thought he's been in their top six. Has he? I know I going into it. Oh, good for him. All right. Ignore me, then. Because I thought the line's been Kachuk, Backlund, Manchin County. But yeah, I mean, Calgary's done. I'm, I mean, the top line's been good. I think it's been a bit better in the was than it was in the regular season. Definitely not as good as it was last year. Um, but I don't think they ever get there again. Um, yeah, I think Calgary is going to end up taking it, maybe in six. Sure, uh, that series does very little to draw me in or excite me <laughs> it's just got, it's going to be a bunch of three two games it just is um so see i was on the same page as you josh like there's nothing there that really excites me and when i look at the series on paper like i'm looking at the the forwards and the defense the skaters i'm just like god there's dallas has nobody outside of ben sagan klingberg and Haskinen, who are really exciting players who you say oh you know what i'd like to watch them and it's kind of disappointing. And then you look at Calgary and what they've got, and they've got so so much of a higher level of skater quality. And then I remember the X factor, Ben Bishop. He's one of the best Is goaltenders he? in the NHL. He's got the size. He's got the, the frame to fill the net. 
and he plays pretty well. He, I mean, he was nominated for a Vesna last season. So Ben Bishop yeah, but is and shoulders good too. Above. I'm not saying Kadobin's bad, but my point is more that in terms of starting goaltenders, Ben Bishop is head and shoulders above David Riddich. So I, while I do think that Calgary will more than likely win this series, I think it's gonna that Bishop is gonna make it closer than a lot of people would think. I mean, sure, but I mean, Dallas has just been trash. I'm sorry, they've been not good. Um, Bishop can only do so much when you're struggling to when you're struggling to score a goal a game, let alone two. Um, I think and, I think the story for Dallas this series, I think the story for Dallas this season has been uh where where Joe Pavelski, Corey Perry, where did they go? You know, what happened to them? Pavelski's been the only guy who's actually done anything. Really I watching him, he disappoints me. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, because he's what, thirty six? That's a good point. <laughs> like but that? these yeah. are such big signings last summer. That was that a terrible to, deal. Oh, they so was the Perry deal, but they souped it up. But at least Perry and, was like a one-year deal, and it was cheap. What's what's Pavelski on? Three. Oh, is he? On and it's like three? seven point five mil a season. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for that money, these guys, these they signed them as a difference maker. Um, it's yeah, it's three. It's seven million. I just pulled it up. You know, they signed – the Dallas Stars got their butts whooped by St. Louis last season. Um, it was Ben Bishop that forced um, forced the closeness of the series, but the skaters weren't there. And Dallas came out in the summer and said, you know what, we're making moves, we're improving, um, we're getting that, that punch that we need in our offense. And, Lord, have they not gotten that at all. Not at um, all. Yeah, like Brandon said, it's just you don't look at this lineup and think, wow, that's a Stanley Cup playoff lineup. Um, You look at this lineup and think, you know, oh, okay, they're rebuilding their bottom six or something like that. And so it just – I just had to mention it because it blows my mind how how, um, not like themselves, these veterans that they made a big deal of signing have played. So, Blues and Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Vancouver getting the win in game one, and Gabe just left the party. <laughs> so, uh, not, not, clear, very clearly not happy with the way game one went. So, Gabe, we'll just start with you on this one. What's your thoughts on the Blues and uh, their game against Vancouver? Yeah, I've been dreading talking about this all day. Um, blues are just. They're not the same team as they were last year. They're not the same team that they were um, at the start of the season. They're not the same team as they were in March. Uh, this is Jordan Bennington, Jake Allen, and 20 guys that would rather be home in sunny, 70-degree, perfect weather outside St. Louis um, than they would you know, up in Edmonton. And I think that shows so, so clearly. Um, you know, They got absolutely slapped in the round robin going over over three and just i you know putting up no fight against vegas colorado or dallas and that same energy carried into the vancouver game um they put 
put up hardly any fight. And as Josh mentioned, uh, before we got underway tonight, uh, Vancouver finally took advantage of that St. Louis laziness in the third period and was able to wrap it up. Um, if we look at the, the fancy advanced stats, um, the Blues and Vancouver Canucks were actually on par for most of the game. But the issue was um, Jaden Schwartz offensive production was in terms of expected goals. Um, his offensive production was over double that of any other blue, except for Braden Shen, um, who Braden Shen had disappointed yesterday as well. But the blues are leaning so heavily on their, their stars and their top six and their goalies to get things and done. And they didn't um, even show up either. And they didn't even show up like, either. Bidding there was O'Reilly. Game. Ryan O'Reilly. Tarasenko hasn't been anywhere to be seen well, during you this can't. entire thing. Well, he's, yeah. He's, yeah, it's complicated. Um, so it's just, it's so weird to watch uh, St. Louis play this way after, you know, not even a year removed from, well, just over a year removed from winning the cup. Um, now they're out there playing, you know, playing like they don't care, playing like they don't want to be here and relying on the guys that do care to, uh, to carry the load. So this is Vancouver's series to lose. If Vancouver can find the pace that they had in the latter half of, of game one, they can win this series in five, six games. Um, if they're going to let the, the nerves of the postseason get to them, then you know, they're going to crumble and fall, and the Blues are going to live to be embarrassed by Colorado instead. Um, yeah, it's just it's a funky series, and it's not one that's fun to watch for me. All right, Josh, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on the series? Uh, yeah, what he said. <laughs> I don't – right? Um, Vancouver, despite the way St. Louis played, Vancouver still really impressed me in that game. Um, Markstrom was good. I'm not sure if that's sustainable. I don't know, man. I think Vancouver could very easily run the table. I think the Blues could very easily take that game, wake up, come back, and win the next four games. Because um, I, I do still have concerns about the Canucks defensively. Um I have no foresight. <laughs> it's, you know, it's been, it was a confusing game one. It's a confusing matchup. Um, it really, it could go a sweep either way, the rest of the way. Um, it could also go seven. My answer to you is I don't have an answer <laughs> for once. All right, and uh, Matt, we'll hit you up. What's, what's your thoughts on the series? Yeah, uh, I had, I'm just shocked by the way St. Louis has played. I had them winning the round-robin tournament between all four of those teams when we were doing our Western Conference predictions, but I, I've been really impressed by the way Vancouver's young guns have stepped in, guys like Patterson and Besser and even Miller. 
Toffoli, those guys have looked really good. Quinn Hughes from the back end, he's making every case in the world why he's definitely up there in the Calder Trophy decision. I just, like Josh said, I'm, I'm just so flabbergasted right now. I thought like the Blues are coming off a Stanley Cup win and they look, they were dominant all season. I just, I don't know what else to say. If they can step up and start playing like I know they can, then I think they can definitely make a series of this. But at the rate that they're playing, I don't see, like Gabe just said, this is the Canucks series to lose. They were the better team in game one and they keep playing like this. I don't see it going longer than six games. Right, because this isn't Washington, Carolina last year. That was Carolina fighting hard to win that series. Washington still, you know, they weren't, you know, quite as good, but they were engaged. They were there. Um, and Carolina really had to work to knock those guys off. Van, it was a nothing game for St. Louis. It just throw it out, get some sleep, start again. That's really the only thing you can do. Do what you can next year. And I think um, our last word had an article published on this topic uh, a week or so ago. Um, There's so much to be said for uh, guys like Pedersen and Hughes and the young guys in Vancouver who have never seen a playoff appearance before, um, never, never felt the rush of the NHL playoffs. And now not only are they in the playoffs, um, not only are they playing the Stanley Cup champions, the reigning Stanley Cup champions in round one, uh, they're doing it in an environment that, you know, is completely new, completely, um, completely foreign to all these guys. And I think you really saw that in game one of the qualifying round. Um, Vancouver's young guys were noticeably uh, razzled they they did not play well they came out in game two and they were the vancouver canucks again and they carried that all through the qualifying round and they uh they're doing it here too so the big big storyline here for me is just how good these kids that you know are 18 19 20 you know around that age uh how good they're doing in uh, a level of pressure that they've never experienced in their life. I, will, I do want to add on that a little bit is just that I'm amazed with how well Vancouver's played so far, just because as you said, they're a very young team and it's, it's rare to find a young team that is capable of competing in the playoffs because as I said earlier, playoffs are a totally different beast. It's a much more difficult game to play. It's more physical, it's faster and far more intense. So when you don't have those, veterans that other teams have those star veterans who really know what the team is getting into it'll be tough to see a team really make it past the first round or two and what I've seen from Vancouver right now I think that they could potentially make a push into the conference finals now it'll be tough and it'll be a hard road ahead of them mind you I don't think it's going to be easy for them but if you told me that they were going to end up in the conference finals it wouldn't surprise me they have a lot of young very young very talented players and by no means do I think that this is their year to win it because their window is still just at the beginning huge. and it's very wide open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a huge window for them. Um, but I'm I'm very surprised with how well they've played. As we said earlier, Gabe, the Blues relying very much on their top six is going to hurt them because 
Vancouver's not afraid to, you know, put out everyone and, and force them to play and force everyone to make big plays. So, yeah. uh, it's it's going to be a fun series to watch. And I think it's one of the most intriguing ones that we have right now. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I very much like what's going on with Vancouver, and it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. All right, so that does it for the – episode five of the throwing haymakers podcast i want to thank everyone for tuning in uh gabe real quick you want to drop your uh twitter handle and uh, where you can find all your articles from last word on sports yeah you can find me on twitter at nhl foley nhl f-o-l-e-y everyone loves to misspell my last name um and then yeah last word on sports on or last word on sports last word on hockey um, I write for SB Nation's St. Louis website, St. Louis Game Time. So check me out there and check out you guys. I, it's important to me that you guys get checked out as well. It's my job. It's my job to make sure your <laughs> oh, yeah. articles well, get used as well. technically it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you can follow me at LWOH underscore Brandon HB. Uh, and, of course, covering mostly the Boston Bruins, but uh, not afraid to get into some other Eastern Conference teams as well. Uh, of course, all of us writing for lastwordonsports.com. Yeah, you guys can uh, check me out at Josh LWOH. I don't put my last name in there. makes things easier. Um, yeah, that's all I got to say. <laughs> And for me, you can follow me at Sheridan, S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N underscore Matt, M-A-T. All right. That's all, that's all we got on episode five. <laughs> and Josh is clearly not happy with the way we ended this episode, but we're going to do it anyway. So why does it matter? So uh, that does it for episode five of Throwing Haymakers. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, thanks, Gabe, for joining us today. Uh, yeah, so, thanks, Gabe. Yeah. So uh, have a good rest of your night and make sure you tune in next week on Saturday for episode 3.